0: Welcome to the second season of Our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time.
1: to our train pod I think it's our 95th episode. Man, we've been doing this for a long time, Nick. Wow. Yeah, I guess we got to keep going to 100 at least. I thought you were going to make it to 10 and you've, you've uh, 10 uh, times did. Uh, pretty wow. incredible. Why did you think that? I think our listeners already know you. You kind of get bored of things pretty quickly. So I was like, I feel like he's psyched about this for now. And then in a couple weeks, he's gonna be like, uh oh, Ben, like, let's go on to something else. Or Yeah. I want a bike.
0: That's pretty on brand for me. I've thought that multiple times over the course of these last 95
1: episodes, but here <laughs> I am,
0: man. I'm holding on.
1: All right, man. Well, I wanted to pick your brain about your most memorable wedding memory. I'm getting married in, wow, 20 days or so. Okay. Um, and hopefully the biggest memory of all will be in, at that wedding. But oh. yeah, I meant more like something dramatic something, something funny embarrassing. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. But- This doesn't have to be funny. This can just be fun.
0: Well, so I don't know how much this will translate, but one of the best weddings I went to from a meaning perspective and celebration perspective was Dan McCrell's wedding, which I'm pretty sure you were at. Dan McCrell was a friend of ours from college. He got married in Buffalo, New York. And great wedding, unbelievable reception. Just one of those, man, from start to finish. That was just super, super fun. And I I remember Dan's aunt. Had this boyfriend named Gary Bender That was his last name was Gary <laughs> Bender. And he was very ostentatious. And at, at one point, I remember this during the reception, his aunt just kept saying, Gary is very wealthy. And that was like, that was how she described him as like, a, I'm bringing this kind of annoying guy to the wedding, but it's okay. Cause he's very wealthy. So me and Dan were just like making jokes about Gary throughout the course of the reception. And then I've never seen this, but apparently the wedding video that the videographers made up, you know, like a compilation of everything. So it starts at the very beginning of the day and then ends at the very end of the reception and the final shot of the video just coincidentally, providentially, was Gary Bender going crazy on the dance floor. That was like the final shot was Gary Bender dancing. So it became this joke between me and my buddy, Dan, about bend it like Gary. So that's kind of one of my favorite stories from a wedding, I suppose.
1: What about you, Ben? What do you got? Well, before I get to mine, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I threw up at that wedding. (laughs) I remember like running to the bathroom and just... (laughs) Essentially, like having to clean it all up and just trying not to let on at all. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I, yeah,
0: I did not know that. I remember I gave a, uh, I gave the best man speech. That was the first time I had done that.
1: That was pretty cool. I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. For me, it was actually my, my aunt, her wedding. Yeah. This was probably 15 years ago. And for Jewish receptions, even for secular reformed Jews like her, you do those kind of Jewish circular dances where everyone's kind of arm in arm and you're acting a fool, but it's just like the most fun thing Uh in the world. And that's really kind of my last memory of my grandmother before dementia really kicked in where she was all there. She was having a blast and uh, yeah, probably one of the best times with my mom's side of the family. So yeah. Are we
0: going to have any Jewish components to your wedding and, Few weeks here. Uh they might be,
1: you know, audibles, ad libs We'll see. Okay. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, enough about weddings. Let's get to Psalm fifteen. And it goes like this. Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who may abide upon your holy hill? Whoever leads a blameless life and does what is right? Who speaks the truth from his heart? There is no guile upon his tongue. He does no evil to his friend. He does not heap contempt upon his neighbor. In his sight, the wicked is rejected, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He is sworn to do no wrong and does not take back his word. He does not give his money in hope of gain, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things shall never be overthrown. Nick, what do you make of this?
0: Well, some parts of the Bible can be very confusing, whether it's poetic imagery or dense arguments in the new testament this is like straightforward moral guidance which has some some value to it for sure it opens with this big question lord who may dwell in your tabernacle tabernacle who may abide upon your holy hill i think that's well let's go back to that and then it answers that question by listing a lot of positive and a lot of negative examples of the just or virtuous life doing what is right speaking the truth from the heart rejecting wickedness, honoring those who fear the Lord, not giving money in hope of gain, not taking a bribe against the innocent. And then it closes with this promise, whoever does these things shall never be overthrown. So it opens with a big question that answers that question. And then it concludes with this promise, living the good life not only enables you to dwell in the tabernacle of the Lord or abide upon his holy hill, but there's this promise of safety or blessing shall never be overthrown. So on the first reading, or on the surface level, it's just a description of the good life. It's not a, here's how to be a good person. Here's not how to do these things, but it is a description of the type of person who dwells in the house of
1: the Lord. All right, so your Protestant sensibilities don't get raised, little warning signs like, oh crap, is this you know justification by works? Yeah, um, yeah. So a lot of that has to do with how you interpret verse one, Uh, Lord,
0: who may dwell in your tabernacle, who may abide upon your holy hill? Is that an eschatological promise? Like who will attain the good life? Or is that more of a description of life here on earth, you know, in kind of, Proximity or contact with the living God, the the blessedness of of being near the Lord. I know Ellen Cherry and her commentary definitely takes the latter track and says this isn't really about who gets to heaven or who will be in the company of the righteous for all eternity. It's a more Jewish horizontal, you know, what does it look like to be a, a decent person in the here and now? Well, you do what is right. You speak the truth. You don't gossip. Don't take bribes. You know, it's like, so of course, a certain type of person that is a very self-incriminating thing. Um, And I'm not even necessarily advocating for that interpretation, but that is one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is to look at it more eschatologically and to read this or to hear this as law, something that is good and true, that points you to the good and the true, but doesn't in and of itself engender the good and the true. So yeah, it's helpful to know that there is some basic inconsistency what, with speaking falsely and dwelling in the house of the Lord, but knowing that does not make you an honest person, right? So I don't, I don't know if I mean if I'm being totally honest, it probably has to do with how my week's going, <laughs> you know, how this hits me. You're feeling pretty sure. Yeah, I don't mean that even in a self-deception sense. I just mean more like some of the some of this does have to do with like emotional security, you know, like can you have the standard of God's law kind of be held up to you and be like, yeah, I'm not doing all those things right, but thanks be to God, I have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Christ, or does it more like pierce you and convince you of your unworthiness? I mean, I don't know if necessarily it has to be the latter. If you can have a little bit more of a sober, less dramatic reading of this kind of text. I don't know. What do you think? You're probably a little bit less emotionally secure than me.
1: So it's any, probably uh, true. I'm not this big time rector like you are <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm <laughs> with saying. all this love and affirmation. I, I would say, even if you're gonna read it, in a different way than Ellen Cherry does. Even if this is, you know, who may dwell in your tabernacle, and we read this as Christians, who may dwell in your presence, or simplistically, who may go to heaven? We'd have to answer, well, Jesus is the one who actually does these things, right? Mm. leads a blameless life, speaks truth from his heart. There's no guile upon his tongue, etc. But I think maybe the, I mean, you mentioned this psalm being a promise. Maybe the promise of this psalm is that God will, in fact, purify us to look like Jesus, to look like this. At the very least, I think, I would hope, that we'd all say we want to want to lead a blameless life, to speak truth in the heart, to be people of integrity. The only section here that I would have a question about would be, I guess, in verse 4, would be, in this person's sight, the wicked is rejected. Now, I think on one hand, you could say, well, we could Christianize this and, you know, we're all wicked, Christ taking this rejection upon himself, or I think there could be an interesting and I think, you know, these last couple of years have really helped us with reading this from the perspective of someone who has been oppressed. Ultimately, we want all to be redeemed, or we want us, we we want to be redeemed, Uh, those of us who sometimes act wickedly, but we could also see how, you know, someone would want the wicked to be rejected. You'd want the person who's oppressing you to be thrown down from power. So I think I guess taking the opposite view of Ellen Cherry, or in addition to Ellen Cherry's view, there can really be who may dwell in your temp in your tabernacle? Jesus can. Yeah. Jesus is going to purify us to look like himself. So I think both levels can really be true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also that's definitely true. Uh, I also think, in his sight, the wicked is rejected. I mean, I don't exactly know what the psalmist meant by that, but if I think about my own life day by day, as someone who is profoundly imperfect but wants to want these things, if you are continually keeping company with people whose deepest beliefs and convictions about the world and way of being in the world is like diametrically opposed to the desires and will of God then that is going to have a toxic mm. effect on your own life. Like undeniably that doesn't yeah. make them bad people. doesn't make them beyond the scope of God's love or does it make them frankly, even that much worse than you are. But it does mean you can have a non eternal, like, well, I'm just not going to hang out with those people. If they just continually make me want to do things that I don't believe to be good for me or anyone else. Like that's not, that's not no, condemning totally. them to hell. That's just like yeah. basic human wisdom. You know what I'm saying? So that's, yeah. I guess that's how I read that. It's like, in his sight, the wicked is rejected. In his sight, those whose way of being, way of living, deepest convictions and beliefs about the world are not in alignment with what we can know about God, then you just pass. <laughs> you know, like it's not, yeah. uh, we're not Jesus. So we're not going to be able to love and redeem everyone, anyone ourselves. So sometimes you just have to be sober and realistic about what you
1: can and cannot do. And jumping on what you were talking about, I think a lot of times about how when I'm around, folks who complain about others or who gossip about others. And sometimes it's for a good reason, right? It's this person's a total you fill in the blank or this person really hurt people. I find oftentimes that I am so prone to perpetuating gossip or when somebody talks about it, it's about someone you know who wants to be that lame person to be like all right man like let's let's stop like yeah. this isn't holy or something like that but in the same way you enjoy it for a second and then you just feel dirty afterward or like when i don't feel dirty afterward like something's wrong because right, right. This really is as you said very toxic and the, yeah. the rest of the song really speaks to that like when you want to want to lead a blameless life to speak truth from the heart because a whole lot of time gossip isn't truth Uh, no guile we don't want to do evil to our friends and so often sometimes like the shit we're talking is about people who are kind of close to us no uh, it's just so dirty absolutely i really like
0: how the the good life the first description is this very general thing leading a blameless life and doing what is right like okay Sure. But the, the first specific is in the, in the prayer book, it's who speaks the truth from his heart. And I think you could more like translate that everyday language as just being honest with yourself, being utterly honest with yourself, speaking the truth from your heart. And most of our behaviors, whether it's spoken or thoughts or actions of arise out of self-deception you know we just rationalize bad behavior like all the time you know i can see that in myself on a daily basis and if you're just ruthlessly honest with yourself that leads to such good fruit right It, it can sometimes lead to like oh man i am so in need of our lord and savior jesus christ but just don't rationalize not rationalizing does not make you perfect it may not even make you like that much better appreciably but it it does kill a lot of toxic stuff, like just from the root. Just don't rationalize, man. Speak the truth from your heart. Be honest with yourself. Yeah, it's just I wonder,
1: like again. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's it. I wonder if for some of our friends and our relationships we're so caught up in those habits of you know whether it's gossip or this or that that maybe you can't say anything in the moment because that would be like a real bummer (laughs) but maybe like when you're not doing that very thing when you're not gossiping you can kind of be like hey man like i feel kind of shitty when i talk like that and i i wouldn't be surprised if they were like you know what i do too but sometimes like when we're in the zone like we just do that like now that you've said that aloud Yeah, maybe we can stop. No, it's so
0: true. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, you know, keeping your own side of the street clean, man. Like, you know, you can't help how other people act or talk or how they lend their money or whatever. But if you just always speak the truth with yourself, and if you as much as you can, of course, you can't do it perfectly. But as much as you can just keep a pretty rigorous accounting of your own moral behavior or lack thereof, I think that just that leads to such good things, man. You know, that's like, Prayer of examine or other tools that you can use that just give you a imperfect but still helpful sense of like where was I dishonest with myself today? Or where did mm. I rationalize behavior or think that is that can be difficult because you're the more you pay attention, the more you find out difficult
1: things about yourself. But it's such a yeah. good thing. And, and I to make it yeah. a law, man, but I feel like there's so little reflection happening now and i'm i guess i said that for everyone but i'm even saying that about me mm. <laughs> like uh, there's just so many distractions i can watch movies till i pass out which i love to do yeah nothing wrong with that but I, I do think it would be i mean I, I hate the word but like a great spiritual discipline just uh maybe just 10 minutes to write something down or think right, through right. your life
0: yeah uh, it's, yeah, it's hard. Cause you just, you know, I, I feel like I'm so in touch with this feeling these days of like, man, it's just everything I can do to get through the day. you know Like the last thing I want to do is turn that bright light of introspection on myself and discover what's in there. But um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it leads to good things. I mean, I think let's, let's close with the final verse, whoever, who does these things, who lives in this good way. Shall never be overthrown, and as the if you have to read this verse in light of the rest of the books of the Book of Psalms, which is so eloquent on the pressure and oftentimes the cost of uh, the cost is the wrong way to put it. The psalmist makes very clear: doing the right thing does always does not always lead to good outcomes in this life, right? Like there's so many prayers of lament, and there's such a vivid description of people who are doing all the wrong things who live such a good life. So we, I don't think this is a Whoever does these things shall always be blessed. <laughs> whoever does these things shall never know trial. It's whoever does these things shall never be overthrown. And there is, I mean, I, I've heard you use this language before, but in Jesus, who is, who is the only person to ever do all these verses perfectly, even if, you know, we're, all, we're so, so, so quick to leave him, but when we stand in him, there's this solidity. There's like this strength in his name that leads to never being overthrown. So even though life can throw really terrible things at you and experientially, it can feel like you're absolutely drowning. When you are in Jesus through faith, you will never be overthrown. I think that's a, for me, that's a very emotionally powerful way to connect what can be kind of abstract truths about justification or imputation to everyday life. Like that feeling of I can stand on his name and I will never be overthrown. There's something so solid about Jesus contrasted with the impermanence or the lack of solidity and everything that I, everything I do.
1: Does that, how yeah. does that, does that yeah, connect to yeah. you? And like, I may have been able to cut a corner and temporarily things might've seemed like they were better, but if I don't, and maybe I didn't get that thing I wanted, I might just feel like better about myself or I might just like be better off even though it doesn't really make sense materially that's great man well
0: let me pray us out psalm 15 lord who may dwell in your tabernacle who may abide upon your holy hill whoever leads a blameless life and does what is right who speaks the truth from his heart there is no guile upon his tongue he does no evil to his friend he does not heap contempt upon his neighbor in his sight the wicked is rejected but he honors those who fear the lord He has sworn to do no wrong and does not take back his word. He does not give his money in hope of gain, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things shall never be overthrown.
1: How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.